We're in John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Selflessness, servanthood, and humility modeled. If that sounds familiar, it's because two weeks ago we had a very similar title. You can go back and look at that. But what I'd like to start with this morning is something I wasn't planning all week. It changed yesterday. So I'll show you an image. You'll see it pop up in a minute. It's uh, an image that's got three people in it. And one of them, Stephanie, one of them's me, and one of them is another person by the name of David. This was January 1st, 2019. When we get to that, you will see it. I wanted to show you that picture because there's two servants in this photo uh, that are special to me. Of course, you know Stephanie, but you haven't met David. I was hoping to introduce him to you. Anyway, uh, this is January 1st, 2019. That's just before mine and Stephanie's 30th wedding anniversary. So we were on a cruise and we stopped in the Dominican. That same year, I did my second missions trip, and it was my first one to take a whole group. My, my second missions trip to the Dominican but my first time to take a missions team with me. I spent a week there ahead of them, and then um, we had the team come. It's, uh, I wanted to introduce you to this guy, David, for a reason, and I'll show you the next image. That's his Facebook page today, if you were to look for him. Find him on my friends list, there he is. And you can see I'm in a couple of his photos that are on his page. Um, Some of those other pictures show his family and some of the ministries he's directly involved in. And uh, he's a special guy to me. Uh, I love the whole Klein family. They're all missionaries or in ministry of some sort. And uh, they're special people. David's dad is more like uh, Paul on the island of the Dominican Republic. I think he's planted 11 churches. What they did is they started... Uh, They went in as a medical mission, and as they were leading people to Christ, they didn't have churches to attend. So they started churches so they could attend. Then they didn't have preachers to fill the pulpit, so they started training preachers. And then they ultimately established at least 11 churches and had multiple preachers, and I got to be a part of some of the preacher training later And I'm very thankful for that. And they actually physically built these buildings, and some of them are multi-story buildings. Of course, they don't do permits there, so it's a little sketchy. But so the dad is like Paul. He's very respected over the whole island. And he is now the preacher in the church where I was a minister for 18 years. And David, the oldest son, is kind of holding down the fort there, and it really is a fort. But he's very involved in prison ministry. So you can see why we connected so well. But I want to show you next image. That's David by himself. Yeah, he rides motorcycles, David Klein. And I want to show you this, and you'll understand why. So he passed away yesterday in a tragic accident that nobody expected. Um, So I wanted to share that with you because we're in the middle of doing stuff. He's in the middle. I haven't brought my baptism pamphlet here and put it out yet. 
uh, because he was in the middle of translating it. I wanted to get it translated into Spanish and do that, uh, have it out at the same time. <clears throat> we're also working, we were work, we've been given permission to work on a project where I was supposed to rewrite a commentary on Daniel and it be uh, translated into Spanish, but that's not going to happen now. I wanted to show this to you because today's message, John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, selflessness, servanthood, and humility modeled. I'm talking about Jesus in the message, but I have a friend who just went on to meet Jesus who modeled it well. So here's some terms I'm going to throw up here on the screen. Monday. Some of you've heard of this, but don't remember what it is. So then the next term, look at this one. This is interesting. Pedalavium. Some of you have never heard that. And then here's another one that's very similar. It's pedilavium. <laughs> very similar. And then, then you, you've, those of you who remember Monday, it's usually coupled with, when you hear it, Monday, Thursday, which sounds confusing because it's like people can't make up which day they want to talk about. Well, we'll talk about these at the very end. John chapter 13, verse 1, we'll jump into the text. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Don't you love that? That is so cool. So his hour that had come means that his time has come. John has given his commentary, but he's using similar language that Jesus had just used. And you must note that Jesus used figurative language, not necessarily within the hour, but meaning time. So verse 2, we pick up. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. Oh, he's going to do something. And that verse continues. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? It didn't seem reasonable. It doesn't make sense. It, you know, here's the creator of the universe who's going to start washing disciples' feet. It, it seems to not fit. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the moment. So he questioned it, and Peter, I can relate to Peter. I would call him impetuous Peter. Peter was constantly doing things without thinking, but he's the one that spoke out. Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you don't understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Oh, there's impetuous Peter. <laughs> Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. In other words, hey, if you... I'm going to have part of you. I'll take all. <clears throat> That's impetuous Peter. 
Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And this is what Jesus does. He speaks literally, and then he speaks figuratively. And he was purposely saying this so that Judas would feel that. There are times when he does that to us. Sometimes it's right in the middle of a church setting like this, when someone reads a verse or someone says something, maybe in, a, in an offering meditation or a communion meditation or in the message or maybe even in Sunday school, somebody says something or somebody reads something and then you get this feeling like it's directed at you. And you get this feeling like you're supposed to rethink what you're about to do that you know you shouldn't do. That's what Jesus is doing to his disciples right here. He's especially trying to catch Judas. But I also wonder, is he also trying to get Peter's attention? Because Peter will deny him three times. And Peter just said something that's not true. Oh, you're never going to wash my feet. Well, he goes on and does it. Verse 12 continues. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, it's an interesting thing because back then, I don't, has anybody in here been to the Middle East? Raise your hands if you've been to the Middle East. Nobody? We're all in the same group because I haven't either. There was a time I was supposed to go to Pakistan and India, haven't gone. But I was warned about a few things, and one of those things is in the Middle East, the culture there, the people don't care as much about personal hygiene as we do. Body odor is very common. You've probably noticed at times when you've been around someone, and they can't help it if they've been working hard or they've been working out or whatever. If you're sweating, you're stinking. You just don't know it. Everybody else does. Well, some people, uh, especially apparently in the Middle East, it's just a common thing. You sweat all the time, so you just, everybody stinks. There's an odor. Uh, I had a friend of mine. I loved him very much, and I had to have a talk with him one time because he had a personal body odor problem. And he was very upset that I would dare talk to him about it. But I loved him, and I didn't want other people to always think he smells bad every time he walks around. So I said to him, you know, what I thought I needed to say. And he said, how come my parents have never told me this? And I said, do you ever smell your parents' body odor? Yes. Do you ever smell other people's parents' body odor? No. That's why they never tell you. It's, it's, a, it's your culture. It's in your family. You, it's just a thing. But you need to address it. And he did, and he didn't have a problem after that. And eventually, 
He thanked me. But if you think about it, if in the Middle East it's just a cultural thing where there's a lot of sweating and so people just keep sweating and there's not lot you can do about it. I know when I went to the Dominican Republic, it was shocking to me that we had to do these showers. Have you ever had to do a shower where you have to turn the water on, get wet, then lather everything you want to lather and then turn the water back on? Because if you don't do that, water is going to be gone. And it was cold water. Uh, but it was very hot there. And as soon as you, you're done, you're clean, as soon as you turn the water off, before a towel hits you, you, f- you feel sticky because you start sweating just like that, even after taking a cold shower. So there's just some parts of the world where you're going to sweat. The Middle East is one of those places. And if you walk around in sandals all the time, getting that grimy sand and dirt, it's muddy. And if you're not, if you're sweating a lot and you're not bathing, feet are some of the nastiest things you want to touch, especially other people's feet. It takes a real servant attitude to, to think that I should do this for other people. I don't know if you know, it was a common thing. And historically speaking, it was a very common thing in those times, even in the Old Testament times, where when people would enter into a home, they would have a wash basin, and they would have a servant who would be there to wash other people's feet. It was a, it was a normal thing. It was part of your greeting. You come into the home, the servant would wash your feet. But for whatever reason, this hadn't happened, and Jesus took this moment, and he capitalized on it. I'm going to do this for my disciples, and they're going to learn from this. It's not necessarily about this thing that we should do, and I've seen it happen. I've seen churches do it, like in a message like this, where the preacher would just simply get a bucket and a wash rag and have people come up. It doesn't carry with it the same message. You have to wrap yourselves around the historical context and the cultural context It's not necessarily about that, it's about serving. So let me just give you a different context. I hadn't really learned this. I had been through foot washing stuff. Our youth group did it, Uh, our church did it. And uh, I, you know, I went through it. But I hadn't really learned how you have to really humble yourself to serve people. And that wasn't until I had already graduated my first undergraduate seminary I was in my first full-time ministry in a church in Arkansas when a man who was, I think he was in his 90s, when he was in his 70s, he had cancer. His name was Art. And he, he didn't want to go through treatment anymore. And when I went to visit, I've, I've been over there several times, his wife said to me, that she needed to talk to me about something he didn't want to talk about. He, uh, he didn't want nurses handling him. He thought that was degrading. And he, and he especially didn't want a nurse shaving him. Because in his opinion, only a man knows how to shave a man. And he liked a clean-shaven face. So in his mind, he thought that I was humble enough to be willing to do the stuff that nurses do. I'm just the preacher. 
I don't know if you know this about humility and me, but when I was in high school, I was part of the humility club and I won the, the, the little badge, the humility badge, and then I uh, had it taken away from me because I wore it. <laughs> That's a joke. I wasn't in any humility club. But at this particular time in my life, I, if you would have asked me if I thought I was humble, I probably would have said I was, but I had to learn humility because I wasn't expecting to do those things. And if you know what you have to do when there's a man who can't take care of himself, it's uh, you have to really humble yourself to become a servant to do those things. I had to have nurses teach me how to do lots of things that I had never done. And I didn't, they didn't tell you this in seminary. You know, hey, guess what? You might get asked to clean up after somebody who can't clean up after themselves. You might have to learn how to handle catheters. One of the catches that she told me is, one thing he said is, he doesn't want to talk about this. When it's time, I'll call you. You come, don't talk about it. And when you're in there, don't talk to him when you're doing that. So I didn't. And I remember the first time I was shaving him. So, so it was, for me, it was difficult because when there were messes to clean up, you know, it was messy and it was hard. It was, and I, I really, I had lots of inner turmoil going on with this. And I couldn't talk to people about it because I didn't want him to be humiliated by me talking about it to anybody. So I just had to hold it in, you know, talk to God about it. But I was definitely, I was focused a lot on me until the first time I shaved him. And the first time I shaved it, oh, by the way, this is, this is a catch I wasn't even warned about. It was time, he needs wants to shave now. He's, he's got, you know, shadows. He wants to shave. Okay, all right. You know how to shave? Yeah, I know how to shave. Okay, so I go in there, and guess what is handed to me, or what's laid out? A straight razor, those old-fashioned kind. Like, I've never done that. I'm so afraid I'm going to slice this man up, you know? Um, but I uh, was shaving him. I was being very careful to do it. And uh, I got one side done, and I moved to the other side. When I went to the other side, I noticed that on that side is where tears were falling from his eye. He wouldn't look at me. We didn't talk about it. And I had to switch. I had to change. I had to shift. Because all the stuff I was doing, I knew it was the right thing, but I had this inner turmoil, and I talked to God about it, and I didn't talk to other people, and it, it just bothered me that I was doing this. And I didn't realize until I saw the tears going from that left eye. It shouldn't have been all about me. It never should have been. I shouldn't have had the turmoil. I should have been thinking about him. He can't do this. What an honor that I could do it for him. And, and a thing changed inside of me that I actually looked forward to serving that way. Before, I dreaded it. But in that moment when I realized, oh my goodness, I'm thinking all about me. This guy can't take care of himself. It's not about me. And Jesus took it to a different level. They could take care of themselves, but he wanted to show them what selfless servanthood looked like. 
It's not about just washing feet. It's not that. It's about doing whatever it takes to selflessly serve others ahead of yourself. See, that, that's what that's about. Okay. Jesus talks a little bit more. It continues in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, that's that amen, amen. I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, he's got a couple of things here. He's saying he's not greater than God, for one. But he's also saying that, that his disciples are not greater than him. And he says it again later, and I'll talk to you about that in a minute. But I want you to notice there's a word there, and there's a footnote in the ESV. I have it up behind me. The Greek word for servant is doulos. And I'll remind you, we've seen it before here. It means bondservant or slave. It's not translated slave a whole lot anymore because that has connotations that distract people from understanding their Bibles. But the reality is Jesus put himself in the position of a slave to his disciples. Doing the most menial tasks when he didn't have to. He went way out of his way to demonstrate to them this is what you're supposed to do with others. And he told them that. You should wash each other's feet. And the, the reference um, that I was talking about is John 15, where it says that Jesus repeats, no servant is greater than his master. When he brings this back up again, he's not talking about just serving. He's talking about persecution. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. What servant is greater than his master? How was Jesus treated here on earth? Well, he was despised and rejected. And he was tortured and killed. Who do we think we are if we think we shouldn't go through hard things? No servant is greater than his master. Doing menial tasks that require a lot of humility for other people is small compared to suffering for the cause of Christ all the way to persecution and death. No servant is greater than his master. If you serve Jesus, you can expect to be treated like he was treated. I do want to give you another passage because it's a support text for this. And we already went over this when we were going through the hard times letters, if you'll remember that series. In Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That's a significant verse. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Considering others as greater than yourselves is what Jesus did on the cross. He died so that we would not have to have eternal punishment. It continues in the same passage there in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. Who though, this is talking about Christ, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be clung to. That's what that means, grasped. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That's that same word, slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if we can have the mind of Christ, we bring glory to him. Now let's talk about those terms. We'll put them all up there again that we had before. Mondi. What's Mondi? Well, here's the definition here. It's from Old French, mande, from Latin, mandatum, meaning command. That's what it means. There are several churches that for many years, and, and these churches include the Anabaptists, the Baptists, um, Seventh-day Adventists, and there are several more that have considered the washing of feet to be an actual command. And so they believe you have to do this washing of the feet. In fact, for uh, Tertullian, church historian, one of the first uh, who documented that the first church, actually, they washed each other's feet before they could have communion. Well, that would change things, wouldn't it? And the, um, those other two terms are just other terms for feet washing. Now, if you look up Mondi, if you just type it in and Google it, you're, you're probably going to see the definition, feet washing. But literally, it means command. <clears throat> so we'll have the next thing pop up there. Genesis 18.4, 19.2, 24.32, and 43.24. What's that? That's just in one of the Old Testament books where foot washing is a thing. It's what they did. It's the culture and the region. That's, that's what they did. It's a very common thing when you go into somebody's house. and It's in the Bible. That's common. This is just in Genesis. There's multiple other places. In fact, I want to talk about one. This is one that involves David and Abigail. Some of you know that story, but this, you'll see that reference come up behind me. In 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse 41, this is the first time we see a very important person taking the role of a slave to wash someone's feet. Hmm. So it wasn't the first time this has been illustrated. And you go back, and the first time it was, was Abigail. It's kind of cool that Jesus did something that was first done by Abigail. I think that's special, don't you? And it's worth noting. Now, Monday, Thursday, what is that? That is a celebration that a lot of churches still do this. That 
Now, I have had people, when we were down in Lacey, we, uh, we started a second campus. We had two services in Lacey and one in Yelm. And the way we started, we were going to have a site pastor. We had funding. We were going to have a site pastor that we hired to do a service the same time in Yelm that we were doing it in Lacey, and we could just stream it. Well, and the site pastor would just, you know, shepherd people in the other town. But the funding got pulled days before we started. Oh, no. So then that fell on me. And I couldn't be there Sunday morning, and we had several other people involved in the worship thing that couldn't be there Sunday night. The only night available was Saturday night, so we started a Saturday night service. And we had people leave the church because they believed that it was very unbiblical to have communion on any other day other than Sunday. Has anybody ever heard this? Raise your hand if you've ever heard this before. Well, I just ran into it a couple weeks ago. Again, where a preacher in a church was questioning how we could serve communion to incarcerated individuals on another day other than a Sunday. My response to that offends people sometimes. But my response to that is, hmm, somebody should have told Jesus that because he instituted communion on a Thursday, Thursday night. I don't think Jesus is as uptight about it as some people are uh, when you have communion. In fact, our New Testament tells us whenever they gathered, they did that. So, Monday, Thursday, that is the night, that is the night Jesus instituted communion. And it's celebrated by a lot of churches with foot washing before communion. Some of them just call it Monday, Thursday, and they have this, this night where they understand the command is more about do this to remember him until he comes. And they just have communion and sometimes a message. And that's what Monday, Thursday has become. Uh, definitely rich in history. But there is, there's, there's some more that I want to talk to you about. You see, my friend David, who just, who's 44 years old, just, we just learned he passed away yesterday. Uh, he, that's the day he passed away. He's one of these guys that is in the background a lot. At the mission, this compound, David seemed to be, a lot like his father, um, always in the background doing things, whether it was cooking or fixing this or fixing that, just always in the background doing stuff. Stays busy. He, I, I never heard him preach. I know he teaches, and I know he knows how to preach. When I was there, he, he, was, he took the role of kind of like um, my guide and actually more like a servant. He drove me where I had to go, and I definitely don't like the idea of driving in a third world country, but he drove me where I had to go. He was fun. He's an adventurer. He, he scuba dives and he skydives and paraglides and he does all kinds of things. But he took me to different cool places. And one time I was looking at this road that goes up the side of a mountain. I go, people actually try to drive up that? So guess what he did? <laughs> he went right up it in a uh, Land Rover Defender which is uh, an impressive vehicle. Anyway, we, uh, 
we've had some good times together. And one of those good times is he was serving. I was preaching in a prison. It's one of those things when I got to visit there, I was warned that when you visit someplace, they think you're going to be the preacher. Even if the preacher's prepared the message, you're there. So, hey, preach. And it was, uh, I felt compelled because some of the same people were at all the places where I was. They were just kind of following me. And I thought, I got to preach a different message five times in a row, you know, like boom, 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 boom. And David was there all the time. And towards the, I don't know how many messages I'd preached, but I'd preached a bunch. I'm in a prison. There's a whole bunch of people. There's guys out there playing basketball and ping pong and the next little concrete courtyard. So it's loud. So I'm preaching and I'm having to be loud so everybody in the back of the room can hear me. There's no microphones. And David, I'm, I'm going through bottles of water because I feel like I'm going to lose my voice. And as David's translating every word I'm preaching, because none of them understood English, I noticed he was going through more water bottles than me because he wasn't used to speaking that loud that, that for those long periods of time and multiple messages, he was losing his voice because he was do, doing just as loud as I was. And uh, I thought to myself in the middle of all that, what a guy. He could have just translated, but instead he knew what I was doing. I'm trying to get, make sure everybody hears it. And he was doing the same exact thing. He, he represented something. I want to show you on an illustration up behind me. And I've done something like this before, but I'm going to show you. See the two words, selfishness versus selflessness. I want to add some color just so you can see the bad versus the good. <laughs> the distinction between the two. And I want to put it in motion. I want to show you a shift. This is what we all need to do. It's that thing that happened to me when I was shaving art. When I moved from the right side of his face to the left side and saw how hard it was for him to just go through being served that way. And I was thinking it was all about me. I was bothered because I was doing this and it was something I never thought I was going to have to do. I didn't, I didn't stop to think about how significant it was that I was serving him. That it was, it was more about doing what Jesus wanted me to do than it was about anything inside of me. And I had to make that shift and move away from selfishness to selflessness. And then it became not only easier, it became something I enjoyed doing for him. And it's embarrassing that I had been a Christian for a while and hadn't learned that, been a pastor. So I want to talk to you about practical application. Here we've got three things and there'll be a fourth one. The fourth one's not in the bullets, but it's just something we're going to pull back out of a passage we read. So first of all, you'll see them pop up as we go. No servant is greater than his master. Who do we think we are? Jesus was willing to do something very nasty, something very gross. I was doing some inner city work in St. Louis, Missouri, very adventurous, a lot of fun. And we had a, another Bible college student come from a different Bible college. He didn't show up till that night. And the, it was very primitive. We were like put in a shed 
in the back behind a shotgun shack that should have been condemned. The shotgun shack uh, upstairs is where the people lived, and downstairs was where you had church, and it's also where the rats and the roaches lived. Uh, we were outside in a place that has holes in the floor uh, that should have been condemned as well. And where the guys, the girls are allowed to sleep in a room in there, and the guys are all crammed into this little place in inner uh, east side St. Louis. And this guy comes in. Nobody even knew he was coming. He came, introduced himself from a different Bible college. Okay, great. There's no room, but we'll make room. So we're all squeezed in sleeping bags, college kids. We make it work. And then he took his shoes off. (laughs) Some people live with personal hygiene standards like others in the Middle East. They don't wash. They don't change their socks. And some people actually think that it is normal that when you take your shoes off, everybody wants to run outside. Some people think that's normal. They really do. They think that's normal. It's not normal, just so you know. If you're one of those people, it's not normal. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> I slept outside in East Side St. Louis that night, and I could breathe. But no servant is greater than his Master, Jesus demonstrated that by handling people's nasty feet. And he wanted to. Two, consider others better than yourself, which is what he was doing when he did that. And he did this even more when he went to the cross. And that's what we learned when we exposed the story. That's what we learned in the Philippians section we read out of Philippians chapter 2. And that's what I learned in a humbling moment is God had me serving somebody and I didn't realize how much of an honor it was until I was in the middle of it. And the third thing, serve Jesus by serving others. That's why he set the example. He wants us to serve him by serving others. It pleases the Lord when we can be that selfless. Now, the reason why I showed you and I talked about my friend David who just passed away, it's very traumatic to me more than I thought it would be. It feels unreal. It feels like it didn't really happen. It feels like, what am I going to do when I go to the Dominican Republic now? (laughs) He's my guy. I don't know. I was uh, was supposed to call him. There's a thing that at the new prison where I am, it's the prison where they try all these new things. And they got this new thing called amend. It's a brand new thing. They're trying it at this one prison. If it works, they're going to do it at all the prisons. And it's from visiting Norway. They visited Norway and they visited Angola down in Louisiana. And they're trying to put together a package that will work here where it's more, um, hopefully more effective in changing people's lives. And taking people that are used to crime and teaching them a different way and making them productive members of society. That's what this program's about. So I was approached by one of the incarcerated individuals that's on an advisory panel that's advising the, this amend panel, uh, this amend group. He said to me, he goes, you talked about a program that when people go through this program, 97% of the graduates never return to prison. On, and you were talking about an island Dominican. It's the program David runs. And he said, can you get that in writing? Because if I can get that in writing, we can probably lump in religious programs as part of the men program 
So it becomes vital that we do these types of Christian programs that work. I said, yes, I will. Figured I'd call him this weekend. And I waited. So make the most of every opportunity. That's a paraphrase. You'll see it pop up behind me. And that is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 16. Because you never know when those opportunities may go away. None of us know how long our friends will be around or how long we will. And so when this, I was preparing this message this week, I had no idea, I wasn't planning on putting that at the very end of it, by the way. I wasn't even planning on talking to you about David. I took some things out so that I could talk to you about him. But I want to say to you, I have this thing inside of me that's pushing me to try to urge you to be urgent in your service to others. As you serve Jesus, serve others to serve Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for teaching us through your word, for sending your son to not just go through all the the big things that we talk about on a regular basis, but doing these kinds of things and having it documented in the one gospel we're going through right now for us. God, may we make the most of this opportunity. Any of us here, Lord, are thinking we need to rethink some things. May we do that. If any of us here, Lord, are, are thinking, who's going to replace people like this missionary I've been talking about? If you're trying to move people with literal or figurative language, with an example of servanthood, with these words in your, these powerful words in, in your Bible, God, may people respond. Lord, help those of us that are in roles as mentors to guide people well. And for those of us that are currently serving, thank you for the honor that you've given us. Lord, move us to move in your time and not miss any opportunities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.